Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle, committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. Our story is still unfolding, and we believe you have a part to play. We hope that you enjoy this week's homily. Would you take a moment and breathe with me? Take a nice, deep breath. Let's do that again. Life. I really need these moments of pause to simply just inhale, to to fill my chest with air. Life. A little bit ago, I downloaded this app on my phone called Aura. It was to help me to do just that, to pause for a couple of minutes and simply inhale and exhale to center myself and slow things down and find a modicum of focus. I've I've found this to be an increasingly important rhythm in my day. It seems as if lately I wake up in a perpetual state of stress or anxiety, of frustration and tension. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago when I went to the dentist, not only did I find out I have a cavity, my first ever, mind you, But she remarked, did you know that you've actually started grinding your teeth? No, (laughs) I didn't know that. But great, just another thing to worry about. With everything that's been happening in the world around us, it's no wonder that I've been waking up with a sore jaw. And not a day goes by where something doesn't happen to cause me to grip my teeth, something to raise my blood pressure, to cause a bit of anger or frustration, to be taken with a feeling of despair or a general sense of dread or even hopelessness. Whether it was the bombings in Austin that seemed to be targeting black men and women to the school shootings that happen weekly. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, one of the elementary schools here on the Hill went into shelter-in-place mode because of a potential threat. Or anti-Semitic hate crimes targeting a people group of friends that I hold dear. In fact, anti-Semitic hate crimes are on the rise. They're up 57% since last year. The largest spike on record. And Seattle isn't immune to these sorts of attacks, whether it's anti-Semitic graffiti in Ballard or Holocaust-denying vandalism sprayed all over Temple to Hirsch Sinai and Capitol Hill. They're on the rise. And here in Seattle, there are on average two hate crimes per week in our city alone. Or Stephen Clark, the latest unarmed black man to be shot and killed by police, shot out 20 times, taking eight bullets into his body, six in his back, in his grandma's backyard, holding a phone. And I haven't even mentioned the homeless crisis in our city of children and teenagers living on the streets in one of the wealthiest cities in the country, of able-bodied working adults who live in tent cities struggling to get into any sort of low-income housing. It's no wonder my jaw hurts, let alone my heart. How's yours? Can we take another breath? Do you feel it? This air of uncertainty, unpredictability, this fear that we hold for others, for our neighbors, ourselves. We live in a country of death, masquerading as a land of life. And this, my friends, is nothing new. It's been true of our country. It's been true of Western civilization since before the Enlightenment. It has been true of our people, of humanity, all since the very beginning. In fact, the very first death 
was the result of a murder. History doesn't so much repeat as it rhymes. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, <laughs> I can see you scratching your heads a bit. Wait a second. Isn't this Easter? Isn't this supposed to be a happy homily filled with flowers and pastels and life? It's true, true, but I don't think we can really understand the magnitude and the mystery of Jesus' resurrection without first understanding our own current state of affairs, our own context. And we live in a country of death, masquerading as a land of life. But there was a moment in this timeline of death in which everything was altered and something new was about to bloom into existence. It's the reason why we're here today. It's a conversation or perhaps a declaration that was made in John chapter 10. Now the disciples, Jesus' crew, had been traveling around with Jesus for a couple of years now. They'd already seen him turn water into wine. They'd seen him begun the work of racial reconciliation with the Samaritan woman at the well. He'd railed against the corrupt establishment, healed children and paralytics and the blind. He's restored people back into community, those who were homeless because of an illness that had left them penniless and alone. He's fed 5,000 and even walked on water. It's pretty safe to say that at this point in time, the disciples, his closest friends, they've seen a few things. And yet, as life was springing forth all around Jesus, they too lived in a country of death, masquerading itself as a land of life. While they lived in the nation of Israel, they were occupied by an empire of oppressive Roman forces that stripped them of their economic and social status, robbed them of their, of their dignity and of, of their livelihood. Their oppression was all-encompassing and controlled with fear. Executions were regular public spectacles. The crucifixion and flogging of criminals and insurrectionists were commonplace. It was a form of state-sponsored domestic terrorism used to keep people in line. The body of the accursed left to decay and decompose upon the cross as a sign and reminder of the Roman rule of power. Peace, they said, came through submission. While the resistance would cry out, no justice, no peace, the empire would respond, no submission, no peace. In fact, there was one particular uprising of the resistance against Roman rule where over 6,000 people were crucified at once, left on a hill as a reminder, no submission, no peace. And it was your choice, submission or death. You simply did not challenge power. While all of this was happening, Jesus' people, the Jews, were being expelled from Rome to keep the city pure. They were being segregated from the Roman people, being allowed to live only in certain parts of the empire. Oppression, persecution, it all ran rampant, and life itself was filled with despair, with sorrow, hopelessness. The historian Josephus even remarked that desolation and sorrow, they were the characteristics of the land. And meanwhile, in Israel, this desolation wasn't solely the result of Roman oppression. It also came through the religious establishment, which cozied up with the empire as a way of maintaining its own order of power within and throughout the people of Israel. Both the empire 
and religious leaders increased their rhetoric to snuff out any contrarian voice. The religious leaders worked to prop up the empire, and the empire worked to delegitimize any uprising that brought hope. Both the empire and the religious establishment colluded to peddle a false hope that greatness had arrived. History doesn't so much repeat itself as it rhymes. Do you hear the rhyme? And yet, no matter how much the empire pressed the people into submission, no matter how much the religious establishment tried to manipulate the people, that hope of a different life, of a new way and a new path, none of these things could be extinguished. You see, all throughout the Gospels, the the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus fanning that tiny flame of hope through the work of racial reconciliation, of speaking out against the religious establishment that colluded with the empire, of healing children and giving voice to women, of restoring the homeless back to the community. In fact, his disciples were more than likely teenagers whom he empowered to change the system of chaos and bring life. These were miracles, an inbreaking of the kingdom of God, of the way that things were meant to be visible in the here and now. Jesus was pulling back the curtain on reality and revealing the kingdom that each of us has been invited to be a part of creating. This was a sign that God had not forgotten his people, his children. This is grace. And this is what we are called as a church, as the people of God, to create. These miracles, where they produced a and renewed a growing sense of hope. In our text for today, we see a stark contrast between hope and despair. In John chapter 10, while Jesus was talking to the people and the religious establishment, he said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do you see the contrast? Jesus, in plain and simple terms, calls out the empire that masquerades as life. He calls out the religious establishment that veils itself as hope, and he presents a stark contrast between them and himself. They have come to steal and kill and destroy, but I, I have come to bring life and bring it to the full. Two roads diverged in a wood. Jesus has come to present a different way than the way of the empire, the religious establishment, the world. A new way of life, of living and being in the world. Jesus came to pull back the curtain on the nation of death that masquerades as a land of life. I have come that they may have life. I remember sitting with a friend of mine a few years back as we talked about this little verse and the hope that's present in this passage. For him, the hope was a future hope. Of course, Jesus came to bring life. He came to bring life eternal, that someday we would have life in the fullest. He would say that this is all about the hope that we have in heaven, that that someday, as the old hymn goes, I'll fly away, old glory, I'll fly away. And when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. And... While it can be a catchy tune full of nostalgia for some, it's a horrible, 
understanding of what Jesus is talking about here. Life, for my friend, and for many in this world, is bound to the future. It's a future hope built upon a present despair. Both eyes fixed firmly on the future and yet completely missing the present, the here and the now. And if I didn't believe this once upon a time too, but the way in which Jesus is speaking here in this passage isn't actually bound to the future. When Jesus says, I have come that they may have life, he's not saying I've come that they would eventually have life or I have come that someday they could have life to the full. No, he's talking about right now, here in the present, today, not tomorrow. For all of our English majors in the house, he's using the word in the present tense, not the future tense. This is about a life that you can walk into right here, right now. Something you can be a part of creating and revealing right now. And while, yes, it, it's true that Jesus came to give us a future hope of life because of his resurrection, because of his resurrection, we can also experience the hope of life right here and right now in this very place and time. We simply have to step into it. And I know it's hard to believe this when we take a look at all that's going on around us, right? With the inevitable school shootings and the unarmed black men and hate crimes and, 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 and. Which is why it's imperative for us to remember that we live in a country of death, masquerading as a land of life. You see, God has not left us to our own devices. He sent Jesus to defeat death and present a new life for us to enter into. This is grace. And this is also the purpose of the church. See, we're, we're a new church here in this city, and a new community of people that believe deeply in this thing called resurrection, this thing that offers life in the here and now. A few months ago, as we were beginning this conversation about who we wanted to be, we, we created this artifact to remind us of the ways that God has called us to work with our neighbors to bring life. We, we wrote down things like hope, that we wanted to be a, a community of justice and a community of peace, a community of love and a community of belonging, a community where you can find yourself, your own identity and who it is that God created you to be. The fact that you get to step into a new life together with all of these people and create and build something beautiful, something new together. That this is home. You see, we're a new church that believes deeply that Jesus' resurrection and the life that he came to bring brings healing to our relationships between one another, brings healing to our identity, lifting that veil of shame and answering the question of who we are at the very core of our being. And it brings healing to the environment by how we tend and care for and advocate for it. It brings healing to our relationship with God that, that Jesus brings order to the chaos that is all around us and invites us to help bring order in our relationship with him. And this is where it begins. This is, this is where we begin with Jesus, entering into relationship with him through baptism and joining with him to bring life. And if this is your first time here with us today, 
I'm so glad you're here. And I want to invite you into this community to, to partner with us as we partner with Jesus to do some great things here in this city, to bring, to bring order to the chaos and to bring hope into the darkness, to bring life into a country of death. A few weeks ago, I showed up at Tent City Five, a place that we as a new community have started to invest our time into. I came to drop off five gallons of Southern style sweet tea that one of the members of our community had made for the dinner that night. And I showed up a little bit early and I grabbed two of the big old growlers of sweet tea and began to walk my way in. And one of the guys came up, came up to me and says, hey, do you, do you need some help? I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. I could totally use some help. And so he, he came to my car and he grabbed a couple of the, the jugs and we began to walk in. And I said, hey, I, I just wanted to let you know, like, I, I, I'll be back in a few minutes. I got to go pick up the carnitas for, for dinner tonight that somebody else has, had made and I was going to go pick up. And he goes, oh, I thought you looked familiar. You're one of the people that help serve dinner every, every Thursday night. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure enough. He looked at me and said, hey, I, I don't think we tell you this enough, but thank you. Thank, thank you for the dinner that, that you provide for us every week. I was like, oh, hey, no, no problem. It's, it's my pleasure. He looked at me and said, no, 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 no. Like, like really, thank you. He said, everyone else that, that comes seems to like bring their leftovers. Like they bring like their leftover six foot Subway sandwich from, from like a work event or they bring like a leftover bag of potato chips or they, they just bring their leftovers. But, but you guys, like you make us like home cooked meals, like meatloaf and carnitas. And it's just thank you guys. Like the effort that you put into this makes us feel special. That's life. That's us as a community bringing life into a country of death. It's bringing hope into darkness. It's bringing order to chaos. It's helping people feel special and valued, that they are loved, that they are cared for, and that we're ordering our relationships of, of, of helping people find new relationship, their own identity about who they are. We're a community that's bringing healing and hope. That's who we are. And I want to invite you into this, to be a part of this thing as together we step forward into this new phase of what it means to be a church that is publicly launched. We're here now. We're here and we meet every single week at noon. And this is our space and this is our place and this is who we are and where it is that we're heading. And I want to invite you into this. Join us in this place where you too can not only belong, but make a difference in this city and beyond.